0: to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. We equally are excited with those that are joining us online, Facebook Live, and again, we welcome you. We welcome those that are listening to the audio. It's always interesting for me to hear stories that you text me or email me that tells me that you were coming back from vacation or you were on vacation or that you were in the office and you're listening and watching. So again, we're so encouraged. Always let us know how what we do at Crossroads is impacting your life. Again, whether you send me an email or text message or maybe you just comment Uh, when I see you out in town because it's so encouraging to know that you're connecting with us even though you may not physically be in the auditorium. So again, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, let me encourage you, do what you do each week. Uh, Even in the auditorium, if you have your smartphone, your iPhone, your Android, we're praying for you if you have an Android. But anyway, if you have your smartphone and you can share it on Facebook right here, that again multiplies the amount of people that can see it today and throughout the week as they go to your personal page, they'll be able to see what we're doing here at Crossroads. Always do that. Always comment. Let us know you're watching and let us know you're engaging. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a word that you would say is active in your life? It, it, do you have a word that you hold on to? Is there a word that, that just really resonates with your life that, that when you get up in the morning, it kind of gets you going, uh, because I was looking at that video that we played, uh, that bumper that we played just a moment ago, and the video that we played last week, and it'll be for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I was paying attention to the words when I was kind of working on this morning. And I, I, I noticed that there were words, that there were sentences. And, and, and I can say that in all of the words that I saw on that video, you're looking at a minute and 30 seconds, that there are lots of words that I could tell you those words resonate with me those words are active uh, in living the life of faith but there was one word out of all the words that really really kind of is a word that i hold on to and it was actually a word that was in a sentence and it's the word hope because you think about life, and you think about the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads of the things that we go through, especially in what we've been through the last 14 months, the last 15, 16 months, you, you, you know, there were times that it seemed hopeless, and and again, you read the news or look at the news right now, and you, you hear what is happening or what may happen, and it can cause you to lose hope, but you know... it. I just remember as an 11-year-old kid, hope was a word that I I began to hold on to. And the reason that I held on to hope was because I I lived in Nashville at the time, over in the Nolensville Road, Thompson Lane area, and there was a a bad thing that happened to a little girl. And uh, it it just really made me start to wonder what would happen to me if I were to succumb to the very thing that happened to that that little little girl who was the same age as I was, What, what, what would happen to me after my life was over on this earth? And I wanted hope. I wanted the assurance that if my life were to end abruptly, that I had the hope of spending eternity... With God, you know, and again, I think I can honestly say that as an 11 year old, you're not thinking so much about God. You're just trying to, you know, you just don't want to die. And and being raised a Southern Baptist uh, and being used to fire and brimstone preaching, uh, which served its purpose, it scared me right out of hell. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, I mean that 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 served a purpose. Uh, It it scared me right out of hell because I I did not want anything to do with hell. but but here's the thing over time something happened over time I began as a follower of Jesus I kind of began to buy into this idea that following Jesus meant that there weren't going to be any bad things to happen to me that you know that's the reason why I was following Jesus because I was going to be entitled as a follower of the good life somewhere along the way I had bought into this idea, even as a young Christian, that the Christian life meant that bad things were not going to happen to me. Bad things were not supposed to happen to me. I was just supposed to be blessed all the time. And here's the thing. I've talked to some of you. And I've talked to other Christians. And you know the thing I've discovered? That many of us thought the very same thing to borrow something that we said last week we followed jesus because it was kind of like we wanted to make sure that we were looking for a god that was going to meet us on the candy aisle we we were looking for a god that was going to give us what we wanted that was going to meet my needs when where and how i thought those needs ought to be met And as a follower of Jesus, I must admit that I think I'm often guilty of living my life with this sense of what I call earthly entitlement. I live my life with this sense of earthly expectation. As a Christian, I think because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, that there are things that, you know what, I'm just entitled to those. That's just part of my faith but then something happens. Something confronts me out of left field that isn't supposed to happen. Something happens in my life, and it catches me off guard. Something that that I thought was mine, like my health and my job and my my, my relationships and my career, something in one of those changes, something in our life changes, and all of a sudden, it's not what it was. And it's, like I said last week, It's as if somebody came into my life and robbed me. It's like something that I thought I was entitled to is taken from me. My job, my health, my career, my marriage. And when that happens unexpectedly, everything changes. And when everything changes, that's when the questions come in. The questions start to fly. Okay, wh- wh- God, how could you let this happen? Why, God? Why is this? Where is God? What is, what is God doing? How could God let this happen to me? Why would God let this happen to me? And this morning, right here in this auditorium or watching online, that may be the very place that you find yourself. You've been busy living your life just like you thought you should. You've been busy doing the things that you thought God wanted you to do as a parent, as a business owner. And all of a sudden, you experience that moment. All of a sudden, you experience that moment when everything in your life gets turned upside down. And I'll say this morning, If that's happened to you, if that's something that's happened to you, I would never pretend to know or to understand what you're going through. I can't fully realize your pain. But I'll tell you, I've been where you are. Because even as a pastor, I know what it feels like when God does not do what you thought he should do. I know what it feels like when God doesn't answer a prayer the way that I thought that he ought to answer that prayer. If you don't hear anything else that I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I know exactly what it's like to be a pastor and have all the questions. And at the very same time, not have the answers. Several years ago, uh, I I met a guy who became a a really good friend of mine. And, and and what's interesting is he he's a friend in ministry and and we we had this really kind of kind of chance meeting of 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 uh just just where we connected and and we got to be really good friends and on a very personal level we started saying you know what here's here's one of the best things we could do why why don't we on occasion why don't we get together two or three times a year why don't we go out of town? Why don't we talk about what's happening in our church? Why don't we talk about what's happening in our lives? And why don't we sit down and actually plan some series and some messages together? We may take them and go a different direction. But again, we come up with this general concept, this general idea, and, and, and we'll just have a good time. So, so one of those first meetings, he, he took the time to tell me about how he got into ministry. Because again, he went to college, he was married, and, and got out of college and thought, you know what? He felt the call of God on his life. He felt the call and wanted to step out in faith and said, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to start a church. So he's 21 years old and he's in Kentucky and in this little town that's kind of a backward town. And he's going to start this church. And again, here's the thing. Anytime you start a church, one of the things that you want to make sure that you have is volunteers. I'm dropping a hint there, okay? We need volunteers if we're ever going to make this thing work. Again, that's just part of it. And again, it was during one of those first visits that I heard him share a story about his experience in ministry. He says, you know, I was looking for some volunteers, and I, and I found this energetic couple. And, and, and again, here's what we're going to do today. For the sake of this discussion, I'm not going to give you their real names, but we're going to use Dan and Kimberly. He said, you know, I ran into this couple, Dan and Kimberly, and they were just amazing. They were energetic. They were pleasant. You know, they were good good people. They were, ju- they were just an amazing couple when it came to serving in the church because they were the perfect volunteers. They would do whatever needed to be done. And anytime you were at the church, you were always going to run into Dan or Kimberly. He said, my church was small, but it was growing and And then one day something happened. He said, one day we looked up and Dan and Kimberly weren't anywhere to be found. And weeks had gone by and and nobody had seen them. And we were worried about them. And can I just interject something here? You know, it's important for you to be here every week. And, you know, it's not that we don't miss you when you're gone. But, again, sometimes it's hard to remember who was at what service. And so I could understand exactly where he was at. It, it took a few weeks, but, but they recognized that, that Dan and Kimberly hadn't been there. So he recognized that they hadn't been there. And, and, and he said, I went to the phone and I called them. And, and during that conversation, they invited my friend to their house. And over dinner, they explained that they just didn't feel like they could come back to church because they had discovered that their 21-year-old daughter, Kelly, was pregnant. And Kelly wasn't married. He said the dinner he had with Dan and Kimberly that night was really the beginning. It was the beginning of grace for that little church, and for this family. Because my friend told them as their pastor during that dinner that night that not only were they encouraged and not only were they welcomed to come back to church, but that their daughter was also welcome. And not only was she welcome to attend, even though she was pregnant and even though she was unwed, he wanted to get her involved in the church. So taking them at his word, guess what they did? Dan and Kimberly came back. And week after week, the church would respond to them and reach out to them. And week after week, their daughter Kelly's pregnancy progressed. My friend said that one afternoon, he went into the church. This is a habit we pastors have on Saturday. He said, I went into the church, and unbeknownst to me, there was a lot of activity. And he said, the ladies of the church were actually uh, throwing a baby shower for Kelly he said, I kind of stuck my head in, and people were laughing and having a good time. And the ladies of the church were giving Kelly baby gifts. They wanted to make sure that Kelly had everything for her new baby girl. But he said, the highlight of the baby shower was this little white dress with pink flowers. And with a huge smile on her face in that baby shower, Kelly said, this is the dress that she's going to wear home. And my friend said, you know what? I got into my car that afternoon. And I said to myself, this is what the church is all about. The journey that he had experienced with his family was amazing. Amazing. And he said, you know, Randy, I could hardly wait for the day when that little baby was going to be born. The parents, Dan and Kimberly, had agreed that they would call him the moment that Kelly went into labor. And they did. When the call came, my friend rushed to the hospital to be there for the excitement that surrounded this birth of this little baby girl. My friend sat in the hallway with Kelly's dad, Dan, and he said it was hard to know who was more nervous him or me, <laughs> he, said, he, he said, as I sat in the hall and watched the activity surrounding the birth of Kelly's baby, it was just a reminder of how great his church had responded in what started out to be a really, really delicate situation. But my friend said this, he said, Randy, as I sat there, I started to notice that something wasn't right. He said, there was this unusual amount of activity going in and out of that room where Kelly was giving birth. In just a few minutes, Kimberly, who was Dan's wife, Kelly's mother, she stuck her head out of the room and she said, pray because something is terribly wrong. My friend said, you know, as a a guy, I said, well, what could go wrong? She's just having a baby. I mean, how could anything go wrong? He said, for the next 10 minutes, I sat there quietly with Dan, both of us praying. And then Kimberly came out crying uncontrollably. And she said, Kelly's baby had been born dead, stillborn. The cord had been wrapped around the baby's neck. And despite every effort of the doctors, they were not able to resuscitate the little baby girl who ironically was going to be given the name Grace. In a matter of minutes, my friend was asked to go into the room. And now all of that activity that had been going on in that room was silent. And the only thing he said I heard was the faint sound of a monitor. He said, I looked up and there was Kelly holding baby Grace. He says, I sat by her bed and all she did was stroke baby Grace's hair and talked to her just like she was alive and then she looked up at me with tears in her eyes and said why? Why? After all God has done To restore my relationship with my parents. After all God has done to show me who he truly is. Why would it end like this? And my friend said I looked at her and said you know what? I don't have an answer. But I sat there with that family the rest of the afternoon. And then Kelly made the decision that she wanted to dress Baby Grace before the funeral home came to pick her up. And when the funeral home arrived, they took Baby Grace away in that white dress with the pink flowers that had been given to her at the shower, and we ask the same questions: Why? Why, God? Why? Why, why was it my wife who got cancer? Why, why is it my job that was lost? Why is it my career? Again, why why did it have to happen to me? Why am I the one who has to deal with the deep depression? Why? Why didn't God show up like I thought he would? Why didn't God give me what I needed? Why doesn't God do for me what I need him to do? And see, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but in my life when things don't work out the way that I thought they would, I always am guilty of throwing out the why question. And every time I throw out the why question, it's that question that always seems to point me. Toward hope. When something in our life falls apart. When something in our life that we thought we were entitled to is taken from us. It's in those times when God doesn't do what we need him to do. When God doesn't show up like we thought. It's in those times that we seem to lose hope. Yes, we may move on. We may move on past the loss of a loved one. We may move on past the loss of a job. We may move on past the, the health scare or the health emergency or the relationship or the marriage that fell apart. We may move on, but listen to me. If we move on many times. The fire is out and the passion for life has been extinguished. Or at least that's how it seems. We may move on, but we start to settle. We start to settle for the lesser things, and we lose the capacity for soul pleasure because the lesser things in life start to take precedence. And maybe you're like me. Maybe this is the way that God seems to you. You see, for somebody whose life has been inundated with pain, sometimes God seems to be so unresponsive. You've been inundated with pain. You've been inundated with failure. You've been inundated with problems. And you pray and pray and pray, and nothing happens. And when nothing happens, It brings up the question, how do we find faith that lets us see the invisible? How do we find faith to passionately believe that he's always wonderfully and lovingly responsive when he doesn't answer our prayers, when he doesn't give us what we ask for? What does it mean to live in a world where our dreams are shattered, our prayers go unanswered, and God seems to do nothing about it? What does it mean when hope seems to be lost? What does it mean to have those things that that we thought we were entitled to? What does it mean? To have those things taken from us. See, if you were to ask me. I think there's an answer to that question. I think there's an answer to the question that I just proposed to you. But here's the thing. I think the answer to that question is going to require a major change. When it comes to the way that we think. I think our thinking must change as it relates to the very, listen to what I'm saying, as it relates to the very reason that we're drawing our breath right now. Our thinking has to change as it relates to the very reason that we're alive. I think the answer to that question requires a change in the way that you and I see and look at the lives that we're living right now. I think the answer demands an understanding of why God keeps us living in this world before he chooses to take us to heaven. Because I would challenge you that I think many of us in this room and many of you watching online are wrong. Because I've been wrong. in my understanding of God and this life. I've been wrong as it relates to what this life is actually supposed to provide. Now, I know that statement rocks some of your world, but stay with me for a moment. See, I think we naturally assume, I think not only do we naturally assume, but I think we naturally and wrongly assume that we're here on this earth to experience something, listen to me, that God has not necessarily promised you. I think that we naturally and wrongly assume that we're here to experience something that God has never promised. And perhaps now more than ever, we make the dangerous assumption that our time on earth is all about having a good time. It's about experiencing pleasant circumstances. And if not that, at least we are here to experience good feelings. Because as human beings, we long to be alive with passion and romance and freedom. As a human being, we want the good life. We want to be parents who raise godly kids. We want to be people who are making a difference in the lives of other people, who are involved with our friends of experiencing God's peace. We long to experience a compelling pleasure that eliminates pain. But here's the thing. If our desire, if our purpose in life is only to have a good time, then God becomes merely a means to an end. God becomes an object to be used. Never a subject rightfully demanding a response. Never a lover to be enjoyed. And our worship becomes a strategy. A strategy to get what we want rather than being worship that is passionate abandonment to someone more worthy than we are. And then when God doesn't do what we want, when God doesn't answer our prayer, when He doesn't deliver a good time, then He isn't doing His job. And when God doesn't do His job, you know what we feel? We feel betrayed. We feel let down. We feel thoroughly disillusioned. So what can we do? How do we live? How do we find hope when bad things happen? How do we find hope when we don't get what we want? How do we find hope when God could have prevented something, but he didn't? See, I think if we're going to find the answer to those questions... We have to lay down a new foundation for hope. We have to lay down a foundation of hope that works even when our lives aren't working out like we thought they would. It has to be a hope that that is uh, available to sick people and to poor people and to lonely people and to unnoticed people. It has to be the same hope that is offered to the healthy people and the rich people, to people with lots of friends and lots of talent. We must discover a hope that thrives in our lives when things are falling apart. It's a hope that is present when sickness continues, even though we're praying that it would stop. It has to be a hope that's there even when our financial condition doesn't improve like we've been praying for it to improve. It has to be a hope that sticks with us when the loneliness gets even deeper and the obscurity continues. But it's the same hope that anchors us to God when all of our dreams do come true. We must find the hope that has the power to do something truly wonderful when we look at our life and we see nothing but pain and nothing but disappointment in life. It has to be a hope that does exactly the same thing when everything in our life is exactly what we envisioned that it would be. So the question is, is there such a hope? See, I think it goes without saying that our ultimate hope is heaven, right? I think it goes without saying that our ultimate hope is heaven. When we're in the presence of Jesus, that's the moment all of the dreams that you've had in life will come true. And so I think with that being said, without that hope, there could be no other hope. Because that's the foundation of Christianity. And without that hope, Christianity just becomes a sham. So is there anything that we can hope for now? Is there anything that I can count on God to do for me right now in this life? Can I trust a God that sometimes seems so fickle? This God who fails to do what I want, how I want, when I want. This God who fails to meet me on the candy aisle and do what a good friend ought to do. And here's what I've discovered. You see, as I've looked back at my life, as I've took personal inventory of the things that have happened to me, I've discovered something. And the thing that I have discovered is that God works in his biggest ways in my life when things are falling apart. Can I get an amen? God does his biggest work when things are falling apart. When there seems to be no hope. God does his biggest work When I'm not getting what I want. It's during those times. That I've come to realize that I've been guilty of valuing things that I shouldn't value. When things that I thought were mine. Things that I thought I was entitled to. Have been taken from me. They've been shattered. Shattered. It's then that I started to realize the false expectations that I've had. I mean, a false expectation, I'm going to say this and I want you to hear it, a false expectation like I'm supposed to live the victorious Christian life with no struggle or no failure. See, that, when I saw God work in the worst parts of my life, that, that thought that I was supposed to have a victorious Christian life with no pain and no struggle, that was destroyed. And it's then that I discovered hope. When things didn't work out the way that I thought they would. Or things didn't work out the way that I thought they should. You know what happens? It often creates within me an appetite for something bigger and better. It it generates within us A feeling that we will eventually recognize this feeling as joy. We have only good hopes and best hopes. And those hopes are guaranteed only in heaven. What is so important for us to understand is that the best hopes aren't promised to us in this life. The best hopes that follow after things in our lives when things don't turn out like we thought they should. Those hopes don't include the elimination of failure and pain in our lives. But oftentimes, the pain that we experience in our lives has a purpose. as it stirs within us this appetite for something higher. The better hope of knowing God well enough to love Him above everything else that happens and trusting Him in a situation no matter what happens. To value Him above everything else. The hope we can experience of being in His presence where nothing goes wrong will not be given to us until the next life. Listen to me this morning. We will not suffer in heaven because pain has no purpose then. So it will not be allowed. But for now, things are going to happen in our lives. And while we have a hard time understanding what's good for us, suffering still has a function. And like nothing else can, it moves us away to desiring what is better until heaven provides for us what is best. One of the most comforting and troubling passages of Scripture for me is Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. And in the faith chapter, the the writer of Hebrews goes and produces this long list of Old Testament people who he claims, notice what I said, who he claims never lost hope. And I would encourage you this week to set some time aside during your quiet time, during the time when you open your Bible and you get in God's Word. And I would challenge you this morning to spend some time reading the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11, what is known as the faith chapter. Because here's the thing. If you do, I guarantee that you will come to a place where you start comparing your life with one of those Old Testament characters. Because I think all of us want the kind of experience Where we walk through a difficult situation, the loss of our husband or our wife, the loss of our job, the loss of our health. We want to be like those Old Testament characters. And we want to see ourselves as a person who walks through that situation. And even though we walk through the difficulty of that situation, we never lose hope. Because if you can give me that kind of experience. It's then that I will be transformed into a model of trust and hope, at least for a while. Because you see, the the idea of salvation in the Old Testament always means deliverance. The idea of salvation in the Old Testament always means a a deliverance from, from difficult and tough circumstances. And that's the kind of hope that I want. But then something happens. The writer of Hebrews kind of flips the script. And he starts to talk about and pinpoint other people who did not make it through their situation. He starts to talk about people who suffered through their trials and they died without ever being saved from those trials. In other words, these people went through a difficult situation and their gratification was never given to them in this life, but their gratification was delayed until heaven. The writer of Hebrews talks about people who were were hollered at and jeered at and whipped and chained. He tells us about people who, who trusted God. And even though they trusted God, they were stoned to death. They were sawed in two. They were run through with a sword. Both of these people were groups of people who trusted God in their situations. Those whose lives had come together and those whose lives fell apart. But the writer closes out the chapter by insisting that these people, even though things didn't work out like they thought they would, these people held on to their faith. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 39. The writer says these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They never lost hope, even though they didn't receive what had been promised. You know when we share answers to prayer, it usually involves us or somebody we know praying for something and the prayer gets answered. It turned out good. Maybe, maybe you had a pain in your body and you, you asked your small group, your community group, your, your close friends, those in your inner circle to pray for you. And, and they prayed for you and in a matter of hours or a matter of days, the pain was gone. Maybe you were going in to have surgery and you, you asked your small group, you asked your friends, your co-workers at work to pray for you as you went into surgery. And you went into surgery and the surgery went well. Maybe you prayed that a loved one would move out from under the cloud of depression that they had been in, and they did. And now things in your life are better. And once things in life are better, you know what we're motivated to do? We're just motivated to move right on. We're motivated to move on ahead. But here's where the rubber meets the road. If for whatever reason, God doesn't meet you on the candy aisle. If for whatever reason God doesn't give you what you ask for, listen to me, listen, listen. He can still be trusted. If for whatever reason God doesn't do what you need him to do, you just need to hear from my lips to your ears, he can still be trusted. Because whatever your situation is, I said this last week, whatever the situation that you find yourself in, listen, he still wants to bless you. He wants to give you an encounter with him. Something that maybe you don't even know it. But that encounter with him is the thing that inside is the thing that you desire the most. And the more I thought about it, that's when that quote that I gave you last week really started to make sense. I've come to believe that only broken people truly worship. Ten words. Those 10 words when I was in that bookstore, I told you last week, jumped off the page at me. I don't even know who the author was. I don't know the book. I just wrote down those words or typed those words in my phone. I've come to believe that only broken people truly worship. And those 10 words have caused me to make a decision. And the decision that I've made is this. I've decided to rethink of my ideas when it comes to hope. Because maybe it could be that what the Bible wants us to hope for in this life is very different from what I think. Would you bow your head and pray with me, please? God, across this room, listening and watching online, are people who have asked you, they have prayed, they've asked others to pray, to move in a situation. And for some of those people, they've received an answer to that prayer. For other people, God, they're sitting there praying and answering and actually beating on the doors of heaven, and you've done nothing for them, or so it appears. You've done nothing in the situation that they're praying about. Doesn't mean that you necessarily won't. It doesn't mean that you necessarily will. But in all things, my prayer today is to them is for them to understand that you can be trusted. Doesn't mean we stop praying. But there's purpose in what you're doing. And this side of heaven, we may not understand it. We may not comprehend it. But there's purpose. In the suffering that we're going through. But our hope that is found in Jesus. It helps us to realize and to understand that if you choose not to move as we've asked, that the best, the better, is being saved for us. My prayer is that we hold on to hope. that we don't give up. and that we continue to trust you in whatever we're going through. God, we love you and we thank you for this time of worship as we ask this prayer in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Can we stand together? This is drought and storm, what heights of love